Why, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the 307 Podcast. We appreciate you joining us on today's episode. It's been quite a while since we've been in here with a full house, but uh, we're back. We're back from good old dry, rocky, hot, and then cold, and then snow, and then all that in Arizona. We're back here in Georgia in the studio with a full house. You got me. Um, I don't even know what my nickname is anymore, Chad, and uh, we Lil got C. Yeah, yep. Lil C. You got <laughs> Lil C in the house, it son. Is now. Uh, you got Chili. We have the Reverend Reverend James Ward up in the house today, about to bring the word to the Three Seven Podcast and on nah. yet again. And nah. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and then we've got, uh, of course, we've got the old wise tech guy. You know, made a post about Blake and his advice that he gave me out on the race course when I was battling these daggone stupid attacks on my mind. And Blake, I, I finally told him about it, and he just, boy, he was loving it. He was just loving it that I was having to feel for once how most normal mortal humans feel and boy he just boy he liked it but he gave me up some wisdom and you know it was everybody knows blake is the wise one out of at least the the three of us <laughs> uh, everybody knows james is wise too but when you know when decisions had to be made out there on the course <laughs> what did i who did i ask for james yeah <laughs> what did james say about that uh-huh. right <laughs> See, James will keep you alive. <laughs> Chili will kill you. Chili will run you right off the cliff. Yep. <laughs> Chili will push you off the cliff. He'll cheer you on all the way. Yep, yep. And then Blake, he just loves watching it all happen either either, either way it goes. Uh, but uh, we're glad to be back. Boy, that didn't quite go the way we planned, huh? Well, how'd you plan it to go? <laughs> Well, I figured with that eight-week training block, I, I figured I would have just breezed right through it. <laughs> don't so, know why you thought that. <laughs> you know, I, I, I. by the way, guys, for the listeners who don't know, because we didn't talk about it much, what we're talking about here is we all just got back from Arizona. We were in Arizona all last week, and uh, I ran a race called the Cocodona 250 which is about 252 miles point to point from Black Canyon City, Arizona, and it finishes up in downtown Flagstaff. Uh, so we just wrapped that up, and it's probably it's the hardest thing that I've done in decades, without a doubt. Um, I, I, I've been contemplating in my mind if it was harder than Hell Week. And I've got some points, some talking hmm. points on that that we'll do a special video on YouTube eventually because there are some comparisons to make, and I think they're close to being equally as hard. It was it was just a kick in the nutsack, and um, it was good. We learned a lot of lessons from it, so we'll be spending the next couple of episodes breaking that down, sharing that with you guys. Uh, while I was out there, James, Chili, Blake, Brooke, and James's wife Jennifer were crewing me. And, you know, this was the first race that I've ever ran that I can genuinely and honestly say, without just being nice, 
I don't know if I would have made it without you guys. I don't know if I would have finished the race without you guys. I'm not just saying that to be nice either. Like, I'm being dead serious. Uh, you guys made it to where I literally didn't have to think about anything except for moving. And it got to the point where that's about all I was capable of thinking of, right? Uh, so you guys served me well out there. And we're going to talk about that race here in just a minute. Uh, first, I, I got a gift today. And if you guys don't know, I am a knife fiend. Like, I appreciate a good knife, a good handmade knife, more than I do a a beautiful gun or hand, you know, made gun or whatever. They The knives just really, really impress me. And so I got a gift here, salient. This came all the way from London. The thing came across the pond. This thing came across the pond from London. And we know our brothers over there in England, you know, they're old school, yeah. man. You know, they're li they're living in the old world. They make really good handcrafted stuff. Us Americans, you know, we got good handcrafted stuff here in America too, but we, we a lot of the crap we have over here, we're consumers. We have a lot of junk, right? Well, these cats fr coming from the old world, salient, made me a daggone knife, and it is unbelievable. Never, I have never seen a knife crafted quite so beautifully as this knife, and, and packaged also, by the way. I mean, these jokers have went over the top. They've got a... Uh, They've got a couple of cards in here. This one, I'm going to show you the knife here in just a second. Well, if I had fingernails, I'm going to have to dump <laughs> this one out. They put a card in here. Nuff said, and this is going to mean something to you guys here in a second. This knife was um, made by Mark and Cameron at Salient Knives of England. I'm going to show you the knife here in just a second. Let me read you this letter. I mean, this is just, I mean, look at this certificate, man. This is over the top. Letter says, I'm so pleased you've decided to uh, to um, receive this knife and mention it on the podcast. I wish I could do... Um, we want to do more for you and your podcast listeners. So they have offered podcast listeners out of the kindness of their heart, all of you guys, if you decide to get you one of these handcrafted knives, a 5% discount on all knives in the online store just use the pro or the discount code nuff said n u f f s a i d all caps the website is salientknives.co.uk tell you a little bit about this knife this is the salient canterbury it's made from n690 surgical stainless steel it can be 100% sterile the blade is four millimeters thick, hardened to 58 HRC, which means it won't bend or crack. The fixings in the handle are brass loveless bolts. The handle wood itself is English walnut from Petersboro. <laughs> Get you some of that, son. Get you some of that. <clears throat> Local. Salient logo and your logo, 307 Project, is laser engraved on the blade. The sheath is 3.5 millimeter vegetable tan leather 
shoulder sourced in the country of Sussex and hand-hewn by us. Unbelievable. All products are handmade around 20 miles southeast of London in the county of Kent, known as the Garden of England. Even the green cardboard box is handmade in England. These jokers can make knives with 24 karat gold inlays, just like a high-end shotgun. Look at the website. You'll get the idea. They range anywhere from 5000 to 500 bucks. All right? Um, so let me show you guys this thing. I don't know. I'm super Dude, excited. That's about incredible. This thing. It is. In, it is literally when you hold this in your hand. It is a literally uh, uh, just an incredible piece of art. You and, and here's the thing. You can also tell though this knife was crafted to actually be used in the field, and this would be literally the perfect blade size and shape to use as a skinning knife mm -hmm. to skin game. Uh, so this will be my primary hunting knife from now on. Yeah, just, that's pretty awesome. Just crazy. Just, I mean, thank you guys. It's unbelievable, man. I can't believe people do stuff like this for me. I oh. still, I can't get over it. Like, why? I'm just some guy. <laughs> <laughs> like, and look at this, man. Yeah, you are some guy, but, I mean, they want to give it to you, and that's that's that gum awesome, man. I mean, even the box is handmade, her yeah. made in. I mean, that's the nuts. That yeah. sheath is awesome. That's some thick leather on that sheath. Dang right it is, son. I might let you hold this thing later, James. All right, I hope so. <laughs> so you guys heard it, 5% discount if you want. Look, this is an heirloom. Yeah, that's, that's this cool is like as crap, Yeah, man. this is something that, that you, well, I won't have the opportunity to do it as a childless heathen, <laughs> but if you guys have children, this is like something you pass down year after. Yeah, and that should so, last forever. Somebody, will hold, somebody could hold this one day and be like, wow, this is my great-grandfather's knife that was crafted in the old world. <laughs> it's already old because it was in the old world. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah, totally. You can pass it down to my kids. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm sure they'll end up getting everything that I own eventually. <laughs> <laughs> so, really awesome. Had to shout that out on there. Um, if you're a knife guy like me, that's a really good piece to add to your collection in special, special um, handmade in the old world. You can't get that here. So, pretty cool. Thank you, guys. And you get a 5% discount code. Use enough said, all caps. Check them out. All right. This daggone foot race that we did. Uh, if I could break this race down. First of all, it took us about four and a half days. 103 hours to run this 250-something mile distance. Uh, if I could break it down. In a nutshell, day one was all about excitement and racing and trying to stay in the front, right? Trying to stay within striking distance of the, the front of the pack and pushing hard. Uh, and we'll talk a little, we'll get into the kind of the details of that section of day one here in just a second. Day two, day two was the 
was just a straight battle in my mind. All right, so day two was just about trying to stay in the fight and not let this thing beat me mentally. In other words, it was day two was just about trying to keep moving, trying to keep moving. Day three was all about running well. All right, because what happened on day two is we finally pared the race down enough to, to we, we pared it down to a mileage that I could comprehend. So on day three, we ran well uh, through all the way through Sedona, James, that section we oh. did. I remember a couple of times on day three when I, when I was actually running well, I almost started crying because I was running again. <laughs> it felt that good to be running again after day two and night two. And then day three, the sun was up. I was running well. We were flying on, going down some technical downhills and just really covering a lot of miles. So day three was about just running well, covering a bunch of miles. Day four was about transitioning day four was about running smart. So at some point between day three and day four, things got so rough that we had to transition from racing and running well to back to, all right, let's be smart and let's survive this thing. <laughs> let's just... Let's start being smart to actually ensure that we're going to finish this thing and let's make decisions based off of uh, stacking all the odds in our favor to finish this thing. Because this race was so long and difficult and my feet in particular got so bad, there were points that I questioned of whether or not my body was going to be able to cover the remaining distance in the, in, in the condition that it was in. Never thought about quitting, but you have to be honest with yourself. Like, holy crap. Like I can barely walk right now and I got to go a hundred and a hundred more miles or 80 more miles and I can barely walk right now. So let's start stacking the odds in our favor and making decisions based off of being able to actually finish this thing and then day five was all about just finishing strong. So day five, we only had 20, little little over, what, 20 miles left to, to run it in. And it was just about finishing strong. And we did that. We did that because of the decisions that we made on day four to stack the odds in our favor. Um, we got it done. So that's a nutshell. Where do you guys want to begin? Well, pre-race, I mean, what was going through your head? You said you were really excited. I'm kind of interested in that. I mean, were you legitimately pumped up and excited and still wanted to wanted to give it all you had or or what or did you feel odd? Well, he was pretty pumped up. You remember he almost forgot his check bag at the airport. Well, I remember that, but I'm just wondering what the starting line Yeah, I was I was legitimately pumped up. So, uh, pre-race, I I thought, I thought 
that yes, I thought it was going to be difficult, obviously, but I thought that I was just going to—I thought I was going to be able to breeze through this thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like I expected a few lows and and this and that, but I thought, yeah, we're just going to we're just going to rock and roll through this thing like everything else we do. Um, and we're going to, and I was thinking we're going to do well too, you know, we're, we're going to, we're going to be able to run smart and, you know, kind of pick up the pace, you know, they're, they're toward the last couple hundred miles and we're going to gain a bunch of ground. And so, yeah, I was super excited. I was sick and tired of the whole, the whole taper thing. Mm-hmm. I was sick of That's good. not being able to, to run and, and move and having to take it easy so that my body could heal up from that big eight-week training block that I put in. And uh, so I was ready to run on the start line. Didn't really have any nerves about it. Like I said, I, I had – it, it had not – day one – Here, here's the difference between day one and day two in terms of mindset, going – still staying with a pre-race. It hadn't set in. Yeah. Like, it took – it took a whole day and a whole night for it to then set in like, oh, crap, this ain't a 100-miler. Yeah, I mean, it just seems like you had unrealistic ideations of what was going to happen. Totally. So, I mean, yeah. I, totally. Yeah. yeah. Un, uh, totally unrealistic. I mean, I, I should have known, you know, if you look back at the first year that Cocodona was, was mm-hmm. held – if you look through the DNFs that did not finish on the first year, which was the same route, they ran the same route that we ran this year on the first year, there are a lot of really experienced runners in that DNF list. And I should have looked at that and said, huh, this is odd. There's a lot of people here that didn't finish that are really, really experienced runners. Well, what's going on here? Uh, but I didn't look at any of that. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, extremely unrealistic expectations for what this thing was going to do. You, you, you obviously in the beginning, because this was outside the boundaries of my past experience, you're thinking, okay, this is going to be twice as hard as a hundred miler. Well, a hundred mile race, yeah, it's hard, but it's not. It don't take you to the depths. Once you once you get it figured out, you know what I mean? So I thought twice as hard, I can deal with twice as hard. The 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 but in reality, I would say it was every bit of five times mm. as hard as a hundred mile race. It's not just twice as hard. Fooled me on that. So um that was kind of where I was at pre race. So and then when you when you started, I knew you knew that first section. Obviously, at some point, things kind of caught you off guard, but that first section was, I mean, that was the one that you really honed in on, I felt like, before the race. You were like, man, the first 30 or so miles, first 38, whatever you want to say, you were like, man, I mean, I am convinced that's going to be hot as crap and everyone's going to need to slow down and some people are going to go out way too fast and... You know, they're worried about how much water we've got. We've got drops. So I knew you were expecting that, but I'm talking about that part specifically. Did that catch you off guard even still? Even though I knew you were prepared and ready for that. Like, did you get in a point in that where you were like, whoa, even this is 
No, it, it didn't. Okay. I, I was I was I was mentally prepared for that first thirty seven miles because they they don't make no bones about it, right? right? Um, they they str- tell you straight up this is the the hottest hardest section of the entire course. So that in that first thirty five thirty seven miles, there's there's ten thousand feet of climbing, and it's hundred plus degree heat, and it's completely exposed to the sun. There's no shade at all. So they don't make no bones about it. The the one thing that did catch me off guard in that first section was the actual surface of the trail. Oh, yeah, way rockier than you thought. Yes. And, yeah, you and, think groomed trails and stuff. Well, that's what I always thought. West Coast running, these yeah. hard-packed, nice, flowy, switchback groomed trails. And this was this was... But that was the one thing that was be above and beyond my imagination. The entire first section of the course, once you got through the little lead up, yeah, uh, past that first aid station at eight miles. Once you got past that, it was literally massive, uh, straight climbs, not switchback, straight up climbs and descents on trail that was covered in softball size. No smaller than a softball, uh, sharp, loose rock, yep. and you can't run on that stuff. You you just you can't move well on it. You're trying to grip it with your feet, and it ends up just destroying the bottoms of your feet after a while. Uh, at least mine. I, I think other people's feet are conditioned to that type of stuff, but we don't have much of that terrain out here. But that was the part that caught me off guard. And the section was every bit as as hard <clears throat> as they described it to be, for sure. Well, I mean, those trails out there do have a reputation as being groomed out. And that's because there certainly is a lot of that in Utah, in Arizona, in California. There really is. But there's some of that here. But what gets ignored is all the trails that are less popular out there that are freaking hard as crap. Yeah. I mean, there's some stuff rough as a cob out there in Arizona. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, that race started with it. But having said that, like I, the reason I asked that is because I felt like that was the section, maybe the only section of the race that you properly ha- had had in uh, proper alignment in your head. Yeah. Like you were like, I know this first 38, but then after that, I thought you thought it was going to start getting easy. Yeah. And really is when it just turned up. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean that was the hardest part of the race, but just after, I, you know. I thought it was just going to be all downhill on a nice <laughs> two-track fire road after that first 38. Yeah, I mean, that's what I could see is that you is that you kind of had that in proper alignment, and then the rest, you were just like, okay, finally I can relax. Now it's going to get easy, and then the exact opposite happened. But I am curious because I know some people on the live stream, and I want to hear what James and Blake have to say about this too. Some people on the live stream had mentioned how bad you looked at mile 38 when you yeah. came into the Crown King aid station. And I, after the race, you kind of were saying something about that. And like, I don't know what they're talking about. I didn't look bad. And all three of bad. us looked at each other and were like, oh, buddy. You look pretty rough. <laughs> I mean, what did you think, James? What was going through your head and Blake? Well, you know, and to provide context for the for the listener, we don't the nature of the race is set up in such a way that there is there's one aid station between the start and crown king right and then just a place to refill water that's unusual and and it's a 38 mile stretch so the first 
10, 11 hours of the race, we don't see Chad. We don't hear from Chad. We can just kind of follow him on his, on his live tracker like everyone else. And, uh, but we know, we've heard, hey, this is the crux of the course. This is the hardest part of the course. Everybody says that. And when, so we're sitting up there at Crown King, which, by the way, is awesome. just an awesome little, it is like going back in time. It's yeah. a two-hour drive on a dirt road <laughs> to a little town that's got a saloon, a general store with a post office, and a little auto mechanic shop. And that's it. It was awesome. But we're sitting there, and Chad comes rolling in, and he's just like red almost like i don't know how somebody can be red and white at the same time but he was red and white at the same time <laughs> that was that 10 layers of sunscreen I had <laughs> yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> and he came in and i think i think the first thing he said is you're like boy that was that pull was no joke and uh comes in and it was probably more like man that pull was no <laughs> joke right. <laughs> had that raspy voice <laughs> i don't even remember having a raspy oh yeah voice it was there. raspy yeah i mean that was uh I think that was rougher than you remember it. I really do. Yeah, it's definitely rougher than I remember it because <laughs> I didn't think I, I I thought I was ready to rock and roll once I got in there, man. <laughs> well, do y'all remember what he did? I mean, he he sat down and just just almost just looked like he didn't know what to do. And we started getting his stuff ready. And then I remember Brooke was taking care of him. And then eventually he got on his back and lifted his legs got up. Got his feet up in that chair. Yep. And then we had a burger there for him. Then he sits back in that chair and just he just starts nibbling on that burger. Just almost just just like. Yeah, I thought his soul might lie in Crown King for a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Dang. I mean, and we took a long time there and, and everything. But, I mean, I think all of us were like. Okay, well, that's not what we hoped for. Yeah. I mean, that's not... But I think at that point, I can't speak for everybody, but we were all like, yeah, but this was almost expected after that hard section and knowing he's going to go out conservative and just, you know, recover from this here. But, I mean, we all were like, I mean, geez, that's awful rough to be this early. <laughs> nobody <laughs> talked about it, though, did we? No, we, <laughs> nobody said a word. No, y'all didn't tell me. Uh -uh. We didn't tell each other. I think we would just thought... And if we don't talk about it, we act like that didn't happen. <laughs> We're not going to give his pain a voice. <laughs> they, uh, but to your credit, the reality is there were very few people. We saw a lot of people come into Crown King. There oh, were yeah. very few people that came in looking good. I mean, that took that took a toll on everyone that came through that that section. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think the sun took a little more toll than uh, than I I, I expected it to. Mm -hmm. Because during that section, I stopped and we, we sunscreened up. We had full coverage on our top uh, with a long sleeve uh, barbell motive shirt. And it's a long sleeve, so full coverage, plus the sunscreen top and bottom. And uh, the sun was so strong that it would it would burn through the clothing and the sunscreen and this was 50 spf sunscreen and still was burning my skin and i stopped and reapplied that sunscreen two times during that leg <laughs> and uh, you just the sun was just so strong there there i don't know that there's any way to combat it other than just already being tanned up and I'm just a pasty white guy here that burns easily. It's the beginning of the summertime out here in Georgia, so there's no time to really condition your skin. 
Uh, so I was burning, and here's the dilemma that I felt on that section because there is such limited water on that section. There's one water drop. You hit a aid station at <clears throat> you hit an aid station at eight miles, and you can you fill up with water. I think I took four liters with me. Yeah, you're everybody was supposed to carry four through that section. Yep, or and at then least you have the capacity. Yep, and then you have one water drop like halfway through, where you can only take one liter of water. So, uh, here's the dilemma I was in. I knew I needed to be conservative through there, but it got to the point where you start thinking in your head because of the sun because of your limited supply of water and your limited supply of calories, you start, you come to the realization, I know I need to go slow, but I also know I, I've got to get out of here. Like, I've got to get to resupply, and I've got to get out of this sun. So then you start pushing a little bit over that conservative pace just so that you can get out of that environment because you know you can only stay in that environment for a limited limited amount of time simply due to your supply of water and food, right? But then also every extra minute that you spend in that exposed sun is just sapping you, sapping you even more. So that's why it was it was hard to go real slow through there because... You knew you had to get out, and I never, I never felt like there were a few times on those climbs where I, I know I pushed a little bit too hard. My heart rate, just I could feel it pounding in my chest, and um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not really about going slow; it's about going easy. Yeah, it's about the effort. Like you can be going pretty fast, but your effort's easy, and that's fine. And and that's what that section did to you. I think I think it made. I think it made a slow pace. It made you work way too hard yeah. on a slow pace. You know what I mean? Because it was just, yeah. I mean, you got to be ready for that. And that's that that section like that right off the bat will punch you in the mouth. Yeah, yeah, I mean, totally. Well, you said coming off of there. I don't know if you remember or not, and I don't remember when exactly you said it, but you said, you said that was the hardest fifty k I've oh, yeah. ever covered. Yeah, yeah, it is. It I mean, is a hundred percent. It's if that was just the race, if it was just a 50k through that section, it would be a brutal race. Yep. And that's just, I mean, you were just getting warmed up. Chili, Chili told us, and we we're sitting there after you pulled out, and we were we were having burgers, and somebody said something about kind of where you were in the pack, and Chili's like, "Hey, keep in mind, if this was a hundred mile race, he's 12 miles in." Yeah. Proportionately, like he. Yeah. he you were just getting more. I mean, that's just the first 38 of a 250. Yep. Yep. Yeah, it was no contest, the hardest 37 miles I've ever covered. No contest. So, that was legit, man. But I'm glad. I'm thankful it was legit because it was built up to be that. Yeah. And dang sure would have been disappointed if it if it would have been piddly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it, it, it won't piddly. <laughs> and got into Crown King. Yeah, we spent, we spent I think, about 30 minutes. Yeah, too long. Yeah, in Crown King. And um, left out of there on some 
it was a big long stretch of fire roads, two track gravel roads through the Bradshaw Mountains. Pretty decent climb out of Crown King, but once you got up out of there, it, the the fire road was basically just just staying on a contour line along the edge, you know, just off the summit of those Bradshaw Mountains, just wrapping in and out of the the draws and spurs. And I spent that entire section of uh, I don't know exactly how far that was to the next aid about station. Sixteen miles. So I spent about yeah. sixteen miles completely. I spent that whole time simply recovering from that first section. So I'd run a little bit, but it was it was just hydrating because my hydration was got way out of whack. I peed one time in the first ten hours, and it looked like Coca Cola. Which is crazy for you because you... I pee all the time. we ran those other sections, it was every 15, 20 minutes. Yep. So I peed one time in 10 hours. So that whole next section was about eating, uh, just getting my hydration back right, doing that deal. Um, We rolled rolled through some... We rolled through maybe two aid stations... In the, because after I left Crown King, there was another 30-some-odd-mile section where I didn't see you guys. That's right. Uh, yeah. You went about 16, 17 to Arastra Creek. You remember that one? Yep. And then from there, you went to Friendly Pines, which is uh, you got there in the night, and that's where we saw you. Okay. All right. Friendly Pines in the night. Does anybody remember Friendly Pines? Oh, I remember. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. We well. all remember that well. Yeah. yeah. Well, what was happening there? That was ridiculous. Well, on the crew side of things, we got there a little early and uh, scoped it out like we did all the other eight About stations. six hours too early. <laughs> yeah. But we had planned on sleeping, getting there and getting some sleep. And so we pull in. Chili gets ill at some workers there and uh finally we settle in we get down there and settle in and james wanders off into the forest with his ground pad to sleep out in the bitter cold and uh me and chili lay down in the car and chili after about 15 minutes of rolling around and stirring and moaning and groaning he says you know I'm going to get out here and lay in this gravel parking lot with no no ground pad with my little micro fleece well, by the way, blanket because I need Walmart. Well, by the way, it wasn't after 15 minutes. It was about hours of just being like, this is, just, what the crap, well, man. Time passes by faster when you're sleeping lovely. So I was sleeping lovely over there. Chili wakes up. No, he me, wasn't. He's moving he every says, five minutes. I need to get flat. I got to get flat. I'm going to get out here on the ground and lay down. And I said, well, that's kind of odd thing to do, Chili. You got a warm car here. You lay the seat back. And he says, no, nope, I got to get flat. And I said, well, all right. And I thought, he ain't going to be out there long. So he opens up his door, and he puts his foot down in about two inches of dust in the parking lot, and it wafts some dust up in his face, and a cold breeze hits him. And he immediately closes the door. And I said, well, that didn't last long, did it, Chili? He said, no, nope, a little too cold out there. So he lays in the car for a little bit, but he eventually gets out there after he thieves James's ground pad from him once James is done sleeping. Yep. And uh, 
Yeah, once I had that, that was real nice. That blanket kept me warm out there. You know, I got all matter of fun made out of me for buying that blanket. And then Friendly Pines, I used that sucker heavy. Well, Chad did do that blanket well, we'll, become essential gear. <laughs> we'll yep. get to that. <laughs> we'll, we'll get to that. The daggum shouldn't have let him have it. Should have burned it. But James got us a good parking spot up there, and uh, Chad come rolling in. What mile was that one? Seventy one. Seventy one point two. Yeah. And that was where you could pick up a pacer. Yeah. Oh, I remember at all Friendly that. Pines. Well, 71. yeah, you guys didn't even talk about your parking spot in Crown King. I got to see a video uh, of that. Did somebody <laughs> make a video of that? Drake, Drake sent me a video oh, of that. Oh, good, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, if we were to back up to Crown King, I'll tell you guys, if you ever go to Crown King <laughs> and you're coming up Main Street, big, long, wide, paved Main Street, lots of parking, but there's one spot you shouldn't park. And that's just past the saloon on the right. There's some sort of building that might be a home or might it looks not like be. A little, it looks like a little prefabbed log cabin style. Yeah. And uh, there's a nice, lovely parking spot right there. Yeah, got the parking bumpers there. No, no parking signs, nothing like that. Don't park there because we did. And uh, we come back by. They ran a chain across it. Chain right in front of the vehicle with a lock on both ends. Locked in. What, did you just twist that chain until it broke? No, they had a, it was, the chain was hooked to an eye bolt on each side that was oh, screwed into okay. something. So I just unscrewed the eye bolt. Blake just backed that right on out. I, yeah, I saw him on the video <laughs> twisting that chain. I was like, dang, is he going to just twist that thing till it heats up and snaps? <laughs> no, I just backed the eye bolt out. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to lock something up with a chain, yeah. it's got to be locked a little bit better than that. <laughs> yeah, he just backed that right on out, pulled the car back. Screwed it right back in. <laughs> Those I, folks came out. They had. They were. They thought you were magic. They had that to. Car had disappeared. Houdini over there. You got. Hey, look. You got to be adaptable. When somebody locks you in, you got to know how to get out. Oh, we're so, adaptable. So yeah, the parking spot at Crown King. Don't park there. <laughs> if you if you do, you got to come up with. I bet they have upped their lock game. Yeah, I bet they have too. Yeah. Oh yeah. So I forgot. There's another aid station that I hit before I came into. Uh, uh, friendly Pines. That was Camp Kippa. Camp Kippa. Yeah, That's there right. was a big climb up to Camp mm. Kippa, and it was an indoor aid station. Uh, oh yeah, you spent some time in there, right? Yeah, and that's where I saw Mike McKnight. Yeah, which uh, is the is is the the most renowned two hundred mile runner that is yeah. today. Um, he's he's won them all. I think this was he said uh, about his tenth two hundred mile race. And came up into Camp Kippa, got me a little chow up in there, and Mike was kind of bundled up on a couch, and go, he was going through some big struggles. And I, I hope he tells that story sometime of exactly what it was he was going through. But, man, this dude looked done. Mm. I mean, he, I thought he was toast. And I even think I said after I picked Chili up, uh, later on, I said, I think Mike McKnight's out of the race, man. Mm-hmm. Um, that was really surprising, but <laughs> show uh, what turn, yeah, he <laughs> show what now the race. And I'm telling you this because, uh, it, it comes into play later on in the story. Um, it made, made me have a lot of respect for the guy, but rolling into friendly pines. I don't remember when I got to friendly pines at mile 71, was it still nighttime? Yeah, it was nighttime. Yeah. You came in. About two in the morning. 
They had that okay. indoor aid station there too. We had moved all of your gear in that indoor aid station. Okay, and I know where Chad we're at comes now. up, and I said, "Come on, we got to get." And he said, "I ain't going in there." I said, "Well, that's that's where we're set up." He's like, "Nah, we're gonna operate out of the back of the car." Yeah, which I get, but also we did that there because it was gonna be warm in there, warm in and there. you were back. Daggum freezing. Well, and James said when he had went in there, there was nobody in it there. It was empty. Yeah. An hour before you got there, there was nobody in there. And then, the, you know, you you were in that, you were in that, you were towards the middle back of that front pack at that point. Yeah. And the just, you know, there were probably six people that came in yeah. an hour before you, them and all their crew flooded in there. So it, it, it was pretty, pretty packed in there. Yeah. Them first two aid stations, we, we got, we were able to get dialed in on mm-hmm. exactly what we was going to do took us a couple times well i mean i get chad's desire to do it out of the car i mean that's what i would prefer however sometimes you have to prioritize things and i was like i mean he's shaking like somehow you're gonna have to get warm so (laughs) enter the blanket yeah that uh that piece of crap over there made fun of me for is that when he started using it friendly puns we wrapped him up in it there and i was like well you ain't cold out here now are you bub so one of the things that happens, a lot of you guys may not, you may not take this into consideration, but when you are out there and you you getting you getting that hot sun all day and you're pushing hard, uh, and then at night in the desert out there it gets really really cold, and what happens when you're putting this amount of stress on your body? is you are not able to stay warm like you can when you're when you're rested up and you're 100%. So your body kind of loses its ability to thermoregulate or control its temperature. So you get cold really really fast. And when you get cold, I mean you get show enough cold like jackhammer and cold. And so I must have been feeling that when I came into Friendly Pines and stopped for a little bit, oh yeah, yeah. and it was it was windy up there too. So that wind where, was where was it not windy? Also. Well, that's it, true. the whole dang that state ought to be called the windy state. <laughs> uh, the wind just blew the it entire was, time. There were maybe a couple hour spells here and there yeah. in the at, right at dawn where the wind wasn't blowing. Yeah, it was it was howling up there. Yeah, so. I got to pick up Chili at Friendly Pines. Yep. And we went from Friendly Pines to Whiskey Row, which was not a very long section. Looks like, what, maybe seven miles? Do you remember anything about that, Chill? That first section we ran together? Yeah, I mean, I remember we immediately picked up on a trail and I felt like the whole race was marked really well, but I was I was like, well, what the crap? I mean, right off the bat of pacing you, I was like, well, I got to look at the, I don't even know what where we go right here. And you were basically saying that that hadn't happened yet. You remember that? Yeah. You were yeah. like, yeah, this is kind of confusing, so I had to check it. But luckily, you know, I hate running with my phone or looking at my phone that much. I mean, I absolutely despise it, but I didn't want to get you off course so bad that i basically just looked at it the whole time and i remember pulling it out and being like okay we'll just get you know correct and easy i mean we didn't get off we just had to stop there for just a second and look but then you told me like well that hadn't happened yet it's always been super super easy but i remember that section being um just kind of almost like mountain bike trails through through that little section of woods 
And then we popped out on the road. We went back and forth with Sally McRae right through there. Remember that? No. I don't know if you remember any of this section because you seem pretty <laughs> pretty out of it. And I mean, no kidding. You were moving all right, but I was already telling you, like, you're not moving as good as you need to. And you stopped and took a crap. Sally ran by you then. And, oh, and you, I do remember that like, section. You were like, don't look at me. Yeah. And all that. <laughs> And uh, and I well, was look like, at me over and, here. and I was like, hey man, let's move. All right, I mean, this is good stuff here. Once we got to the road, and and we we ran, but it just, you know, I was like, it's so early, but I feel like you've wasted a ton of time. So let's make it back when we can. And then, I mean, we tried, but into Whiskey Row, we didn't run super fast. But you know, after we came out of that like mountain bikey trail. Do you remember that road section? We kind of went back and forth with some people. Sally was behind us. We came in on some sidewalk, and then we came into that Whiskey Row in Prescott, which is beautiful. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah. City. And it was getting light right about when we got in there. Yep. That yep ring I a bell? remember that. I remember we got into Whiskey Row. It was still dark, but it was close to mm-hmm. it was close to sunup. Yeah, we got into Whiskey Row, and I brought you to that back bathroom in that aid station. Yep. There was a sleep station there. Yep. Yep. So that put us at mile 78.3. Yep. And that would have put us right about the 24-hour mark. Yeah. Right around there, 24 hours on course. So to put it in perspective. Oh, was that 24? It, it it, if been. it would have been right at right about sunrise. That's true. That's true. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah. So just to put this in perspective, uh, most, if you look back, a hundred mile mountain race here in North Georgia for me takes me usually about twenty hours. At you know, say a Georgia Jewel course. Well, you've never done that in faster than twenty two. Your PR there is twenty one fifty three. Oh, okay, twenty two hours. Then <laughs> I don't even know what my times were. Um, a twenty four uh, a really a hundred mile race on uh, on flat terrain. You can run in twenty four hours extremely easy. So a mountain course here in Georgia, hundred miles, twenty two hours on average. We're at twenty four hours here at Cocodona, and we're only at seventy eight point three miles. So just to put put it in a little perspective of how slow we moved especially across that first 38-mile, 37-mile section. Yeah, Whiskey Row was awesome. Um, I guess I was getting pretty tired at that point. Yeah, <laughs> it was insane how tired you were. I mean, <laughs> we probably should have just went ahead and slept for three hours there. I mean, that's what I would have done as a sleep strategy. That probably would have been smart. But... Nobody was asking about that, so you didn't sleep at all there, did he? No, no. Yeah, no. Just pressed so on. nobody was asking about that. So you just, we just went out of there together again. Just decided to keep pushing, and uh, yeah, it, it was pretty much walking on the sidewalk mainly because we kind of walked went down into Prescott. It was that like a neighborhood type thing, and. And a lot of sidewalking. I mean, I'm talking about a hilly. Hold on. That's when I was sleepwalking. That's what I'm getting to. Okay. And the sun was coming up, so you were getting really cold. We were walking, and I mean, you were, Jack Cameron, walking, pretty much. And the sun was just cresting. I mean, I turned my headlamp off. 
And we were walking mainly on the road there. I Once again, I was like, come on, man. We need to run some of this. I mean, this is the prime of what you got. And you were just in a bad way, really, physically. And uh, and it was uphill, so you didn't want to run there. Because that I'm telling you, that road section there was hilly neighborhood. Yeah. I mean, I'm talking about legit hills for a road. You know, so we were walking those. And then after that, for a while, that took some time. I mean, you were walking so slow. Finally, you kind of warmed up. But I look back, and I mean, you were you were literally stumbling. Yeah, I would walk in front of you and just hear you like scraping the ground in a way that was like this dude's falling over. I mean, it was like I was like, what is he doing? So I started trying to talk just to keep you awake, and and I would say something and you would kind of respond and then you'd just trail off again and just. And I'm like, good Lord. I mean, this is what happens when you get that far behind in sleep. But I thought surely once once we get moving again at a faster pace and it warms up and you see the sun, like you can come out of this. But even then I knew you got way too tired without any sleep. Way too sleepy. Like you can't get that far gone. I mean, you have to stay ahead of that sleep, I think. But the, the weird thing is, is... It, we had only been up. We'd only been awake for 25, 26 yeah. hours. Yeah, at but that you point. know as well as I do that it can it can hit you then. Yeah, like sometimes you can be good. I mean, especially you have shown you can be good way longer than that. But that's long enough to where on whatever day you can be, it can hit you then. I think. I think. I mean, you know that. I think what this this whole sleep thing is something that nobody has quite figured out. I think what calculates into the sleep deprivation <clears throat> is the cumulative stress. Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, so you look at a race like Mid-State Mile, for instance, and that loop is so slow, it's not putting a lot of stress on me, right? You're in the shade the whole time. You're not being. You're not exposed. Yeah, it's hot, but you're in the shade. You're never, you're never really pushing. Your heart rate's never going up. And I think that's why at a race like that, I can stay awake for so much longer and never get even close to as tired as I was at 25, 26 hours out here at Cocodona. I think it's cumulative stress basically, basically shortens your window that you're able to function without sleep. Yeah, I mean... I'm not an expert here, but you can imply common sense that you go out here, you can just lay in the sun on the beach and not do anything and go to your room tonight and you're going to be tired. The sun does something to you to sap energy from you just by simply being in it. So you add moving and doing this stuff out in the exposed sun essentially the whole time other than when it's night, then, yeah, it's going to make you tired a lot faster, in my opinion. Yeah, and, I mean, you had developed a fever already. I mean, I was pretty convinced of that at times of how cold you were. And I mean, like not cold and had puff jacket on and blanket and you were jackhammering like that's a problem. Yeah. And that's not separate from you talking earlier about you lose the ability to dysregulate your body temperature. I mean, I'm talking about the same thing. You had like a fever. I mean, your core temperature was way too high and your skin was, you know, cold. It was just dumping heat. I mean, you were. Yeah. It's not good. You know, so that's part of why I think that morning was so rough. You know, right before the sun comes up, it's the coldest that it's going to get. And we were moving slow, and you were just, um, 
not in a good in a good way with your core temperature and, and you know i think it made you made you sleepy well also you you're probably really deficient on calories too and so that also hinders your regulation of yeah. your heat so i mean chad stayed on top of food about as good as you can do in that early section yeah. and really the whole time but what people don't understand is you cannot eat enough right like it's impossible yeah. He stayed on it about as good as he could do, and he was still very behind on calories. I mean, that's just the nature of ultra running. Yep. A lot of people don't understand that. I mean, the best you can do is to only be a little bit behind. I mean, that that's the, yeah. the that's the best. So when you are behind on calories, yeah, it's really hard to warm up. Yeah, I mean, it's hard on your body too, and that's what some people don't understand. They think they can eat enough. Like I'm gonna burn ten thousand calories and I'm gonna eat ten thousand calories. Nope, you won't do that. You will be behind, but mm-hmm. you can get really close. And that's what I thought you'd, to give you a compliment, you did an excellent job on the early section of staying pretty dang hydrated given the circumstances. I know you got a little behind, but also enough food. I mean, you had ate almost everything I put in your pack the first couple times. Yeah, you nailed it on that pack, man. Chili repacked my pack at every aid station, and I never had I never had to worry if I was going to have enough food, never had to think about what went into the pack. I just put the pack on and just rolled out. And I, I knew there was going to – Chili would calculate the amount of calories I needed for the time and distance that I had to cover before my next resupply. And there was always the perfect amount of food plus a few hundred calories in that pack just in case. And – um Never miss. I never got hungry on the race. As a matter of fact, there was a point where it got really hard to eat, but uh, but never got hungry. But yeah, that's the first time that I have experienced falling asleep for like one second while I was walking. Multiple times, falling asleep while I was walking, starting to stumble, and the stumbling woke me up. That's the first time I've experienced that since Hell Week. That was insane, man. <laughs> well, I was right, though, about what I thought would happen. Once the sun came up, you stopped doing that. Yeah, yeah. You did, I mean. And I think also I, I took a little caffeine for the first time. Yeah. There. Yeah, which which helped pull me out of that. The sun, though, is the major, major thing when that comes up. And so we're headed to Iron King. It was a long stretch. From Whiskey Row was mile 78, Iron King, mile 92.2. Did we go through that section in those rocks Yeah, around that, that lake I, I right there? I wanted yeah, to, right. yeah, if you were going to Iron King, I was going to bring you back. Right after you kind of stumbled while you were walking, we got into some better running. You actually woke up, and it was still that smooth trail. We passed a few people, talked to them, and you. we started running a little bit, but then right into, I mean, not long, we hit that lake. I think it's called Watson Lake. I think that's right. And um, at first, I had heard all this stuff about it, and it was beautiful and all this, and it's like this, kind of like this creek in this little body of water, and I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty underwhelming. But we ran by that, and then you hit this, I mean, like, you start seeing these huge rock formations, and then you see what the lake really is. And then the the running, the good running we were doing for a little bit was over. Yeah, it was a rock scramble. It was <laughs> yeah. a boulder scramble. Yeah. 
So last thing I wanted to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I knew that 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 wasn't really tickling your fancy when we got to that. I mean, you you, <laughs> you had gotten talkative and then you just like quiet again, almost just uh, like walked well, but with your head down, just getting through it, you know. Yeah. And um, you may not remember, but that section, and you may not love it as much as I did, was absolutely incredible. I mean, Watson Lake is one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. It's gigantic red rocks stacked on top of each other and just like these crazy formations, almost like they were put there. And that lake is just awesome. And you have great views of it with mountains in the background the whole time as we're just wrapping around it. I mean, it's really something. And uh, But also, it's a, it's really a brutally hard section for to, to try to move fast in. Yeah, I didn't like it. I didn't yeah. see any of that beauty. Yeah. I just remember glancing. Well, I took pictures for you. I just remember glancing over at them rock formations one time and saying, Chili, you think the Indians did this? Yep. I do remember that. <laughs> uh, yep. Well, actually, I didn't take pictures. I took some video for Drake. but So hopefully you'll get to see that again and be like, huh, that's pretty nice. I'd like to go back there. <laughs> <laughs> but Hitting some outlaw Turismo around that thing. Oh, I was I was touring. Uh, touring without my partner Blake for for a while in that section. Yeah, it doesn't seem like we were in that for a super long time though. It really wasn't that long. It, it, it's because it was a really short section. It took us forever to cover the two miles that it was, but it didn't seem super long because it was only two miles. And um, okay, and you moved well. I thought for how hard that was, you moved well. I was pretty happy with it. I was like, I mean, this is going to slow everybody down tremendously. But you are, I mean, we passed people. Yeah. You know, there was some hard climbs. That, and, you, I mean, we were moving way faster than uh, the people around us at that section. So I was like, well, this is good. This is slow, but this is this is actually comparatively pretty fast. So, Yeah, I remember you giving me some compliments going through there. And, yeah. then, and then after that, didn't we have like a, a long like sidewalk section almost to no, it was a dirt road i wouldn't call it fire road and, uh, and it d- d- it wasn't sidewalk it was unpaved but it was kind of you know where all them how them houses on the left side like that, that was right before that okay that was right before watson lake leaving watson lake was it's kind of just dirt road you remember and where was what what did iron king look like it, it was on a sidewalk yeah, that's oh, where you picked up, Brooke. Now, that was a sidewalk. Yeah. Maybe if you're jumping way ahead to there. Yeah. But we ran for miles on that dirt road. Did we really? Oh, yeah. Okay. I mean, we ran for miles and, and ran, too. I mean, I didn't think it was fast enough running, but we ran the whole way. and That's good to hear. I was still running. Oh, yeah. You were running there. I mean, I was freaking, I was digging into you then. And you, you kind of were like, I remember I didn't like how much you wanted the aid station to be right around the corner then. I mean, I'll be honest, you were really want. I could tell you were really wanting it to be soon. And one time you asked me how far it was, and I think you had miscalculated. Like, you thought it was four miles away when it was like six miles away. Uh-huh. So when we were two miles out, you started being like, where is it? You know, and I was like, that's probably two miles away. And you were like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, man, it's like, this ain't it. Because there, there was those houses you may have been talking about. Yeah. There was some like weird 
uh, structures there and everything <laughs> in that field. And yeah, I mean, it was exposed. I mean, I was burning to a crisp and, uh, and you were like, where is it, Jelly? And I'm like, dude, trust me, it's two miles out. And you were just pissed. <laughs> and, uh, Should have said one mile out. Well, yeah, we hadn't, we hadn't got there we yet. Quite got to that point. We were still able to run at that point, yeah, obviously. Yeah. And oh, yeah. And then, but it was so funny, man. Like, even right after I said that, we were running the whole time, and then something happened, and you stopped to walk. And it was just like, I could tell, like, that was not a big, a big, it was a little bit demoralizing, you know, to be on a long section like that. Because we, from Whiskey Row, I mean, it was a good 15 miles or something like that. It's 13. I mean, it was a yeah, long 13. 78 to 92. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and that got long because of how, how slow Watts Lake was and everything. And you just... I think you wanted it to be right there, and it and it wasn't. And there's nothing you can do other than keep moving. So we finally ran again. We hit that sidewalk, and I told you to walk into the aid station to recover so you could get out of there quicker. And and that's what we did. And then we and, got into Iron King right there on the side of the road. And you yeah. told me you wanted Brooke to pace you for that next five. Yep, that was just that kind of random spot there yep. on the side of the road. Yeah, I remember that. Anybody got anything else up to this point? No, you came in, and because uh, we're gonna take it, we're gonna take it one more step from Iron King to Fane Ranch at Satisfy, and then we're gonna shut it down because Fane Ranch is the hundred mile mark. Just yeah. after Fane Ranch, yep, yeah, yeah. You picked up Brooke there. Yeah, well, there's an awesome picture of you leaving Iron King from Fane Ranch right after I got done pacing you, and I'm just, uh, it, Drake's got you real focused right in front of you, and you're walking, and um, I'm kind of good bit in the distance off on the grass looking down the sidewalk and I'm uh I'm just kind of blurred out standing there with my arms crossed and my head cocked just looking at you and <laughs> it just makes me laugh every time I see it I'm like I think that's a look of disapproval <laughs> as you're walking leaving the aid station it's such a funny picture to me just because of where we had just been and what what was happening it's just I love that picture, though, because you were leaving Iron King, in my opinion, not in a great way, like needing sleep already then bad. Because we had just, you know, it was hours ago that you were falling asleep walking. Yeah. And you hadn't fell asleep yet. So I was just thinking, come on, player. You're going to have to do something here. And so this would have put us at Iron King. That would have been, we would have been there probably, what, late morning? Yeah. I yeah, think that yeah. seems about right. So we we're up probably over thirty hours now of no sleep. Close, yeah. Yeah. And then we got that five mile section, but leaving out of Iron King, we pretty much left out of there and immediately got into that daggone cow pasture. <laughs> yeah. On you, uh on Fane Ranch. Yeah, you and Brooke, right? So none of us know what that was like. Yep. So I remember this section. It's on, it was only a five mile stretch. We leave there. We're on a little bit of roads. We finally get uh, kind of on a gravel road, but we're in this massive, it's like a prairie. It's, it's, there's no trees, nothing, no buildings. It's just this massive ranch. And um, we're on this gravel road. We hadn't crossed the fence into the pasture yet, and I got struck with a poo Again. real quick. And... Uh, when you get struck with a poo and you've been eating all this 
all these gels and laurel bars and all this stuff, it's coming. You ain't going to buck it. <laughs> so uh, th- there's nowhere around to poo. And I'm like, well, I'm either going to drop my drawers right here and, and crap in front of the world and everybody because there's other runners and stuff around. But then I looked to my right and there <laughs> and was behold, a, <laughs> behold, <laughs> there opened was up a, like the heavens before him. There was a culvert <laughs> pipe. So there was a galvanized culvert that went under a road, a big galvanized pipe that was just big enough that I could squat down, hunch and get into. And uh, I hunched down, went about halfway under the road into that galvanized pipe and took me a poo. Uh, that was rough, bad rough. And Brooke, <laughs> boy, Brooke loved it, though. Um, I'm sure a lot of Mexicans have done that before on job sites, but I've never done that personally in, in my life, so... That was a new experience for me. It could have even been a Caucasian on a job site. Might have done it. <laughs> could have been Guatemalan, anything. Well, no. Ain't no whites work anymore in construction. Um, so I clambered my way out of that. We crossed a dern. They had these little wooden step ladders that went up and over the barbed wire fence that basically encompassed Fane Ranch, which is a private piece of property that the race directors have gotten permission to traverse in order to link all this course up. And we start across a cow pasture. Now, there's no trail. You're walking across uh, really uneven ground that's covered in cow crap and tracks, and it's all pitted up. Um, You're in probably knee-high grass with massive amounts of deadly cactus kind of sprinkled in deadly <laughs> you get stuck by one of them and you're out you might as well call it a day deadly cactus somehow right. I, I somehow i've got through this entire race without getting stuck by a cactus a single time i don't know how i did yeah, it that's impressive because it was everywhere out in those fields and so we're just walking across a dying cow pasture and of course, Brooks getting, she's getting totally distracted by cows. Um, <laughs> she's just kind of walking along with me, and like the only way you know you're on course is there will be like a flag in the middle of the cow pasture that's like as far as you can see. You can barely see the flag, and you know you got to walk to that. And then when you get to that, you'll see another one way out. And then eventually, finally, Brooks like, hey. I'm gonna start looking for these flags for you, so you don't have to. You don't have to find them. Once there were no more cows. <laughs> yeah, Holy once crap. we got past the cows, she started picking the flags out, and we we're making our way across that. There's no, there was no running on that surface. It was just, it was just a hike across that surface, and um, that brought us. I'm telling you, dude, it was uneven. It was really... Well, I think you made the decision that a lot of that course was unrunnable, and therein lies the problem. <laughs> well, I didn't see anybody running through that field. Yeah, I don't... I mean, I'm, I think I saw one guy later on when, when me and James... one guy that was running. Saw one dude that was running across that field. So, we got we got a text from Brooke when you, as you were coming into the, the Satisfy 
aid station. So this would have been the tail end of that section. And uh, she says he's hit a but he he's hit a bit of a low point. He wants coke. Was the text? <laughs> mm. I remember that. You remember that? I remember that. And then rolling into the satisfy running aid station, the Fane Ranch aid station, they had a party going on, son. Yeah. They had leather. Ca- they had like white couches and yeah. a big circus tent. Yeah, it's pretty thing. cool. Talk yeah. about a wind tunnel. They oh, want no oh, wind man. worse than Fane. No. Maybe except <laughs> maybe on Eldon, but dude, that place was. Yeah, it was ripping. That through is there. true. Eldon was. <laughs> But no, Fane Ranch is probably stronger winds. No kidding. They had a big trailer set up with Normatec boots. Yeah. You should have hit a lick on them. All <laughs> kinds of stuff set up. You remember when there. you just blew through that aid station? Yep. <laughs> like the legend he is. What a freaking legend. Uh, no, I'll tell you what I do remember. I remember getting that Coke, but I remember Jennifer gave me a cup of Coke, and it, had, it was full of ice. And... And it made me so dang cold <laughs> drinking that darn Coke with ice in it um, that, uh, yeah, I just remember thinking, and I drank two cups of it Yeah. before I realized, huh, I probably should have just drank this Coke at room temperature. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> it is what it is. We didn't take any rest there. We got resupplied. Yeah, didn't sleep, yeah. Didn't sleep. Got back on our feet and uh, went through the aid station. We didn't know it, but apparently the people who were running the live live stream thought that I just came into the aid station and just blew through it without right. without any resupply or anything because <laughs> we later saw a clip from the li- live stream that said, can you confirm that Chad Wright just came through the hundred mile aid station and just blew through it without stopping? He walks up to the aid station table on camera and he looks around at everything, and then he's like, "Nah," and he then he just <laughs> takes on, on walking. <laughs> yeah, they're like, "This Joker just blew through this aid station." Hundred mile aid station just blew through it, <laughs> like the legend that I am. The great thing is that the cameras didn't see the 20 minutes I spent in the car <laughs> before I actually walked through the aid station oh, to get back on course. Um, so that puts us at the 100-mile point. And, um, you don't want to go to Mingus, do you, since James is here and he paced you there? Yeah, I'll let James talk us through that section, and then and then we'll we'll cut it off. Okay. Yeah, so that, because that was – about seven miles of walking down a fence line Ooh, through that dang cow pasture and then up Minga. So talk us through that section and what you remember and what happened yeah, on so, that section, James. So we left that Satisfy uh, aid station and got right into more of that field that uh, sounds like similar to what you and Brooke went through. It was worse. It was worse. <laughs> and, I mean, it was just – there wasn't even trail. It was just flags in a field. Yeah. And that high grass wind was just – I just remember the wind through there was just whipping. And it was – it would have been afternoon then because we were uh, – so it was hot. And uh, it was just uh, – it just felt like it never ended. And it was hard to run in it. We, we walked just about all of it because it was just hard hard to run. You were coming out of Satisfy, coming out of that aid station uh, – I said, I asked you, I said, do you want, you want me to lead or you want me to follow you? And you said, just, just set us a pace out in front. 
And I did. And we, uh, so it was, it felt like forever. It was probably seven miles or so that we were just on this, just this field. It was flat, but it was just, it was just rough. Trying to get to the base of Mingus Mountain Mingus, to start which the climb. Was, which was the first really big climb, I think, since the 50K. Yes. Yeah. the first part of the race. And, uh, and then we got to Mingus, which was, I think, about, what is it, 3,000 feet of elevation gain, 2,700 feet, something like that, yeah, over yeah. a few miles. Yep. It's a legitimate climb. But, man, you moved really good. I felt like we moved – I felt like the, the field was slow, but I think that was just the nature of the beast. But then as we headed up Mingus, I felt like we moved pretty good, at least through that first section. Once we got up towards the top, it got it – got, the sun was just – Got a lot of exposure up there. Got hot, um, and we were we slowed down a bit once we got up towards the top. The thing that I remember about that section that was interesting is we got passed by a couple people early on in that climb. Oh yeah, who were trying to move quick up mm-hmm. that mountain. Yeah, and by the time and we just we just slow and steady just chipped away at it by the time we got to the top we had passed one or two of them back and anybody else and we had caught up to a few people that were just a couple hundred yards ahead of us that we could see um as we came up over mingus and then down the backside just a little bit into that next aid station Uh, i think that was like a 14 mile section maybe something like that between satisfy and that next yeah. Station. yeah, 13 that, or so. Right, that would have been from 97 to 110. Okay, so 13 miles. Yep, yep. Yeah, I remember, I, I thought my my climbing ability was, was good yeah. really throughout the duration of the race. Um, my So at this point in the race, the section James was talking about, yeah, it was interesting to see how just that slow and steady pace, the the people who were pushing harder, it ended up only putting them, I mean, they were within sight, maybe oh. a couple hundred yards ahead of us, and we just maintained constant forward motion up that. Uh, my feet hadn't gave up the ghost yeah. at, yet at this point. My feet didn't well, give up the ghost yeah, I mean, in Domingos, though, that's when it started. Coming down yeah. off of Mingus is when it started. So, um, now, when I when we got up to Mingus, did we take a sleep up there? Mm-mm. Still no sleep. You, well, you wanted to, and oh, yeah, we did, made the decision, because I? I had felt like you should have taken one a long time ago that would set you up better, but... You didn't, and then you kind of wanted to there, and I, I was like, look, dude, this is a bad spot to do it. It's windy, it's cold, it's high, it's 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 kind of getting into the evening, like, like d- 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 you sh- no, <laughs> terrible time. Like, you picked the wrong time, dude. You got to get down off of this as quick as possible, and then you can. I remember that. I remember wanting to take a sleep up there. And that's exactly what you guys told me because we that Mingus was a big summit. It's actually, in my opinion, was the best view of the entire course was up on top of that Mingus mountain. You could actually see the rest of the course from the top of Mingus. You could see all through down through Sedona and up onto the 
Cocodino Plateau and all the way to the end, Mount Eldon and everything. Um, and I did want to rest up there, but because of the elevation and the wind, it was very cold. And you guys put this kibosh on that, son. You know, the interesting thing about that aid station that I'm sure you got, it'll play into the second half of the podcast here, but you, you left out of that aid station in front of Michael McKnight. Mm -hmm. That's Mm -hmm. the last time that I saw him in that race was in that aid station. So even at, even at a mile, what was it? Mile 110. 10. Yep. You were you were ahead of the guy that ultimately went on to win that race, yeah. which is That's pretty, interesting, which isn't is it? pretty interesting. And he didn't look great at that aid station either. He was he was sitting beside because they were parked just right kind of beside us. Mm-hmm. And he was sitting he came in a little while after you and was there a while after you left. And because we didn't spend a whole lot of time at that one. because um, we didn't because you were it was so cold we wanted to keep you moving. Well, we spent a little too much time. We, you got there and you, you were dealing with your feet already. I guess it just hadn't got to the point that it ultimately did. But you, we took your shoes off and we're dealing with stuff there, and you were wondering what to do. And and then we, you know, we ate a little bit, and then got up, and then we did that death walk to the bathroom up there. You remember me and Blake? Yep. So that took some time, and then, you know. It was just getting late, and I just remember thinking, like, you got to get moving, and and just around and in that aid station, it was it was a crawl, man. I mean, how did you? I think the last thing to go on you was your climbing muscles. How did they feel coming up, Mingus? My climbing muscles felt good. I mean, the 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 what what made my climbing good is it. It took the pressure off my feet. Yeah. It put the pressure from yep, the pounding the bottom of my feet to it, it transitioned it to my actual leg muscles, which were, were still good to go. Yeah, so I felt good. How stiff were you getting every time you laid in the car? It wasn't, it. to be honest with you, it wasn't stiff. Yeah. It was the bottom of my feet. Mm. My feet would swell. And when I would stand back up, as soon as I touched my feet to the ground, it was excruciating pain. I mean, absolutely excruciating. I couldn't believe when we were in Mingus, you, we took your shoes off then and then you put them back on. And I remember what you did when you put them back on. You were laying back in the car, kind of how I am now, and you went like this. To put your shoe back on. Yeah. 110 miles in deep. Like, dude, that's a risky move to just do like this with your hip flexor. I mean, you can, that can freaking about end you. Like, just, oh, I mean, the cramps and crap you can get. I mean, that was wild to me that you just did. I mean, you'd effortlessly, yeah, nonchalant. Like and then did the even. other one and I, and then just stood up and I was like, that's a really, 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 really good sign yeah. that his muscles are in that kind of shape. Yeah, and you know my muscles were good. I mean, even through the end, my my muscles, leg muscles weren't even sore at the end of this race. It's really, really. I cannot tell you how frustrating it is and and was to have good muscles, but not be able to move on the count of the soles of your feet. 
Yeah. Um, I, I just can't tell you how absolutely frustrating that part of this race was. Um, but we'll cut it off there. And uh, because the next part of this race is when we really start to get down into the pits uh, near to despair. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and that was the, the next section with Blake, which we'll cover down on on the, the next episode covering this race, and we'll take you on through the end. But coming down off of Mingus is where we really got into the 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 feet finally gave up the ghost. Um, I was at my lowest of lows, and me and Blake had a little conversation, and we'll go over all that on the next episode because uh, from that point it was that's where it really got ugly. Was was from from that section on, and. Um, Old Blake will be able to drop some wisdom on y'all when we talk about coming down off of Mingus. A lot happened there, so that'll be coming up on the next episode. We've got some work to do today, and uh, we're going to get out and and get prepped for that, get ready to rock and roll. We've got a hard day's work ahead of us. Uh, I'm not moving around too well. My lower back seized up two days ago. Literally found myself on the floor in the kitchen with bacon on the stove, uh, frying, and clawed my way up into a chair, but couldn't get any further than that. Had to call for an emergency uh, stove turn off and a, uh, a carry to the couch where I could then lay for an entire day, but I'm able to get up and walk around a little bit today anyway, so... I'm going to let you guys do the majority of the work today. But got you. Um, we'll do the heavy lifting. I'll be out there riding around on the four-wheeler. You checking, just sit there in that chair and y'all. get everybody checked in at that <laughs> that station. We had us a couple super chats here. Brett Childers, he gave us 20 bucks, said get you some Epsom salt and have, chi- <laughs> have chili rub your feet. <laughs> Thank you, Brett. I will do that. And we Good. had a 22 Cheapster. He said he appreciates everything we do. And the why behind what you do it, keep pushing yourselves and preaching about Christ because you can. 22 Cheapster. Thank you, 22, 22 Cheapster. Cheapster. means a lot, brother. Cheap. We Thank appreciate it. And we appreciate all you guys tuning in. Again, we'll come back with the second half of this uh, next week and uh, talk to you guys about what it's like in the Valley of Despair. All right? Get ready for it. Enough said. <laughs>